with so many podcasts out there, shows can get lost in the shuffle. That's why we implore you to check out Too Many Captains. You can find us at a moviepodcast.com. Five unique takes on Hollywood movies and culture. Find us on Twitter at It's a Film Podcast. Check our intellectual deep dives into theatrical films. Find us on Instagram at Too Many Captains Productions. Unique takes on soundtracks. Find us on Facebook at facebook.com slash Too Many Captains Productions. Find us at a moviepodcast.com on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and Google Play. And now, here comes a new episode of Collateral Cinema. I'm Ashley Chancellor. I'm Bo Maddox. I'm Agent Scott. And I'm Cam the Provocateur. And this is Collateral Cinema and... Spy Hards Podcast. Welcome back to Collateral Cinema, the only movie podcast that matters. We are joined by the Spy Hearts podcast, again, discussing the Star Wars prequel trilogy. If you haven't checked out part one yet, we did talk about episodes one and two. And I feel like we had uh, quite a bit about to say on those ones. I really don't think there's anything else that needs to be said regarding them. Not really. I mean, especially not Attack of the Clones. <laughs> especially not that. I mean, we'll have some more remarks about the uh, the prequel trilogy overall, but here we are to talk about Revenge of the Sith, episode three. In my opinion, the best of the three. In fact, it's it's one of my favorite Star Wars films overall. I think it's behind just right behind Empire for me. Yeah, I mean, for me, like I said before, Phantom Menace is just, you know, kind of my jam a little bit. But... I mean, Revenge of the Sith, it's actually a very well-made movie. It's probably the most well-made movie out of all three of these. And, I mean, it's great because we actually see a lot more of Anakin and Obi-Wan interacting and a little less of Padme and Anakin. Yeah. I think that that's really what makes this movie work a little better. I don't know. What do you think, Spy Hards? I will say... Out of the three, this is probably my second favorite. I think I still go to Phantom Menace, but that's probably more of a nostalgia thing than it being objectively a better film. Mm -hmm. Um, I I like a lot of what uh, this film does. I think, you know, especially the the, the heel turn of Anakin and the Order 66, I think that's a really riveting cinema. And I remember this is the one that I saw in the theaters about four times. I was old enough to go by myself I think I was in college at this point, so I, I, I attended quite a few viewings. And I remember really just relishing the story of this one. I think the story's a lot more cogent than the other two. So that that's that's my initial thoughts on it. Yeah, like I remember watching part one, and you're looking for those nuggets that are going to feed into the Star Wars trilogy, you know, the classic films that uh, we'd all seen. And like there's bits and pieces but you were always left to kind of go like well where's this going and the second one it began to build a little more but then narratively it was kind of soggy and so it was kind of more frustrating this was the one where the world building aspects of the prequel trilogy really kicked in became involving and i think dramatically a lot of this works i think the turning of you know um anakin to the dark side is actually really effective i think you know you have that scene at the intergalactic sperm opera or whatever it is where um (laughs) where you have uh palpatine um telling the story of darth plagueis and that sequence is just probably the highlight of the movie for me it's all the little character dynamics work really well in kind of pushing us towards the inevitable end goal i think for me like it has some you know just issues with wonky cg moments every now and again or um just some of the um well, we even still have a few awkward ad, uh, Anakin Padme moments, but in terms of kind of the del- like the payoff to the character stuff, it works. Um, my only other, I think, 
complaint is that when we have the big moments, and I mean like the um, melting of the Emperor's face or, um, you know, maybe the prolonged lightsaber fight with Obi-Wan, it's kind of these moments we've built up in our minds as to what we're getting towards. I don't know that they deliver as much, but we can talk about more about that as we go. But in terms of just kind of a wrapping this whole prequel trilogy up, I think this one does it very well and significantly better than Rise of Skywalker did more recently. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no kidding. I, I will say the chemistry between Ewan McGregor and uh, Hayden Christensen is so much better. You know, you get a little bit of that, of a peak of kind of where their relationship and their dynamic goes in the Clone Wars. So, you know, this is actually, po- you know, kind of at the end and, and a little bit of the final season of the Clone Wars, I believe, in, in takes place during Revenge of the Sith. Yeah. But, yeah, so we've got this more brotherly relationship established with the two. Uh, instead of a father-son or a mentor-mentee relationship, uh, Anakin is a fully graduated Jedi Knight on his way to becoming a master, honestly, is something that they're, they're kind of speaking about and he's expecting. They've both been fighting in the Clone Wars for some time, but, you know, they're sort of coming to an end now, it seems. And they trust each other. Uh, there's the squabbling is more like just brotherly banter than it is this. This is not fair, you know. Why do you always? And, and I definitely enjoy them quite a bit more. And we get more Ewan McGregor to shine because again, he's the best part of the prequel series. Yeah, this is very much the most Obi Wan movie out of this entire <laughs> trilogy. I mean, you get a lot of Obi Wan. Hello there. Yeah. Hello there. <laughs> Man, I should have opened up the podcast that way. Yeah. Hello yeah, there. Hello there. General Kenobi. General Kenobi. You are a bold one. (laughs) Also, guys, did you ever hear the tragedy of Darth Plagueis the Wise? Oh, no. I thought not. Hmm. It's not a story the Jedi would tell you. It's a Sith legend. Darth Plagueis was a wise, was a dark lord of the Sith, so powerful and so wise, he could use the Force to influence the midichlorians to create life. Okay, I'm not going to do the whole copy oh pasta. My God. I, I was going to sit here and just be like, uh, <laughs> yeah, let's... Are we doing that. a copy pasta reading on the podcast now? Yeah, I guess so. I mean, God damn it. Now this is podcasting. This is podcasting. Oh, yeah. So uncivilized. <laughs> yeah, I know, right? <laughs> damn it. Ewan is very Ewan in this movie, and I love it. Um, and the action is better, I think. That whole final scene, that the, the fight between uh, Anakin and Obi-Wan, I know we're kind of getting ahead of ourselves here, but we've never really done this podcast in a chronological format anyway, so fuck yeah. it. Yeah. All right, can we talk about that fight? Oh, yeah, the fight between uh, Obi-Wan and Anakin. Because really, that's what you, that's the buildup, right? If if episode one was the Duel of the Fates scene and episode two was the battle on Geonosis, uh, this is the battle, the final battle. Incidentally, in every single instance, it is the final battle, but it is the fight between Obi-Wan and Anakin. That's what this movie is setting up. That's what it's building to. That's what you came to watch. Yeah, it's just building up to this ultimate establishing character moment for both of them. This is where... You know, at the end, it's where you get Darth Vader and you get the uh, the events that lead up to, you know, A New Hope. You see the babies being uh, given to their adopted parents, you know, you like Luke goes to Baru and, and them, you know. I mean, it's, it's the most significant moment just in the entire series, you know. That one moment just sets so much in motion. Yeah, like, for me, dramatically, it all works. Like, Ewan McGregor and Hayden Christensen are both, like, coming at it fast and furious. You can really see that these two have trained a lot to pull off the dynamics of this this duel here. And it works. Like, I, I really genuinely love the moment where Anakin is, you know, basically <laughs> delimbed and screaming and lighting on fire. Like, I remember seeing that in theaters just being blown away that it was so much darker than I even expected. And, you know, as a Star Wars fan from way back, you always sort of had these um, rumors or hints that that's how Darth Vader was injured, was being uh, knocked into lava or something along those lines. Like, Lucas had always teased that stuff out. And to actually see it portrayed in such a violent way, I remember being... um, satisfying but also like it kind of captured the tragedy of that character in a way that the preceding film did not at all there was nothing in you know attack of the clones really that prepared me for any sort of tragic feelings regarding that character but i thought that moment did it well the one thing is though the fight 
falls victim to that Lucas obsession with CG. I don't get anything out of the two of them hopping around on like glowing CG doodads in lava, stuff like that. I would have preferred to go more of the route. They ultimately went with, um, you know, um, with Ray and uh, Kylo Ren on that like wave planet, you know, where they're on, you know, just the, the structure, like no CG, have the environment around you, giving you the atmosphere and just stage an incredibly effective fight. I think that would have been more successful, at least for me personally, than sort of the hopping around on CG lava like a video game. I, I was just going to say, I don't think I was expecting this level of brutality when I went into this film. I didn't, I, I, I knew that he had um, lost his appendages or like through rumor, at least in the way same as what Cam was saying, but to see your main character, you know, the, the Skywalkers have a problem with losing their hands which is fine yeah, because it's just definitely. a small part of the body. It's just a tiny little thing. We've all got them. We could get them replaced. It's fine. Mm. But losing your legs and your arm, it, it's pretty brutal. And you're seeing this guy like a mess on the floor, screaming in pain and anger. And I, I wasn't expecting that at, at that age. And I imagine there was kids younger than me seeing this film too and being quite taken aback by it. It was, like I said in the last episode, quite a bit more mature, I think, than the previous two films were. Or really, a lot of Star Wars films had been up to that point. But it kind of needed to be. I mean, even through from episode one, uh, quite a few of us had grown up by that point. And I think the film took that into account. You know, you're not watching episode three by itself. You've watched the, the previous two. That scene where Obi-Wan... Is, is standing above Anakin and, and he, he's just burning in the lava, you know, I hate you. And he's like, you were my brother, Anakin. You know, you, it, I loved you. And, and it's a very, very emotional moment. It, it's the moment that you've kind of been dreading up to that point and, and it really hits home. And of course we knew it was coming, but it's just, it hits not all, you know, all the same. And, but the real question is, do y'all think Obi-Wan really had the high ground Oh, absolutely. <laughs> I don't know. Like, what is the high ground in the prequels where characters can leap, like, hundreds of, you know, miles in the air, it seems, half the time? Like, that was something else. Like, the physics of Star Wars got really wacky in the prequels. So the whole high ground concept, I'm not sure, worked as well as it would have, you know, had it happened in the original trilogy, where you could jump a little bit higher but not, like, go crazy. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I, I just want to say, though, like, the, uh, you know, him screaming on the ground moment, it's a testament to how effective that particular scene is in terms of the relationship between Obi-Wan and Anakin, considering especially that we have not seen these two bond in many interesting ways in the preceding you know, two films. They really never had those two go through the journeys we really hoped we would get to see, You know, the two of them serving together in the Clone Wars, all that sort of stuff. And so the fact that this moment works, I think, just shows that how good you know they are as actors and how much just power to the filmmaking there is. Yeah, 100%. And, and again, if you really do feel like there is something missing in the dynamic between Anakin and Obi-Wan, or if you just really want to see more of it than what we got, check out The Clone Wars because, I mean, I haven't finished all of it myself, but it really does get into a lot of that, that missing content from uh, between episodes two and three. And we'll talk a little bit more about that more later on but yeah and, and or, or if he really needed a little bit more of Anakin being a likable character before taking him down the tragic turn but I will say for what we do get in episode three it actually is pretty good and that's why uh, Revenge of the Sith is one of my favorite Star Wars films um, the fight on Mustafar I mean I can kind of see what you mean about the CGI and, um, you know, the, the, that they're relying a little bit too much on it. I don't mind personally, but if you even go back to kind of the earlier parts of that fight where, you know, Mustafar is just the, the backdrop and you've got this lava going around, it's really, really effective. You know, I, I, I do enjoy that quite a bit. And then you've got that class, you know, you've got that excellent John Williams score. Um, they, they have a theme that's designed specifically for this fight. And it is it is just it's emotional, it's heart wrenching and, and it, it is it is just two equals facing each other. Also, if you play the Revenge of the Sith video game, 
you actually can can. There's an alternate ending where you can win that fight. Oh, really? Yeah, and then Anakin <laughs> kills the Emperor. Oh, holy crap! Because <laughs> by the way, this is something that is canon. George Lucas has stated this. Anakin's connection to the Force was cut off by the events of of that. Like basically, he was set. I mean, he was Space Jesus, right? Conceived by the Midichlorians or whatever, right? the chosen one of the prophecy, like he was set to be the most powerful Jedi ever or force user ever. He was going to be, he could have been more powerful than the emperor, but his potential was cut off as a result of the limbs that he lost. And so because some of his body was replaced by cybernetics, or at least according to Lucas, he stopped growing in, uh, in the force at that point. Yeah, he just stagnated. He stagnated. And, and, th- and that makes sense. I mean, in, in a way, I mean... What position does Darth Vader really have in the Empire in the original trilogy? It's well, like he, he's pretty much almost like a just an overseer of bureaucrats in a way. Well, Vader is formidable. Don't he get is. me wrong. Yeah, definitely. Uh, if you play that, there's that one scene in Jedi Fallen Order, and we have an episode on collateral gaming where it just almost turns into horror at that point where you face Darth Vader and you've got almost nothing, and it kind of shows the average experience of what an average Jedi Knight would be. But, yeah, Vader was a formidable warrior, but he wasn't. He was just a fraction of what he could have been. Yeah. He, all the same, you know? And, and Anakin, unfortunately, was just a little bit too... What's the word? He, he believed a little bit too strongly in himself. He was a bit too arrogant. And that's why a lot of that. I mean, if you think about it, that was his downfall. And, you know, Obi-Wan says, it's over, Anakin. I have the high ground. And he literally tells him, don't try it. And Anakin's like, don't under you underestimate my power. That's pivotal to who Anakin as a char- is as a character. Yeah, he's powerful. Yeah, he has a mastery of the force and whatnot. But when someone else has got the high ground, you don't fuck with that. He is a little bit impulsive. He's got some issues. And, and over time, you know, when he becomes Vader, I guess he gets over quite a bit of that. But it's there. Yeah, I mean, you could kind of see it going all the way back to Phantom Menace a little bit, just in the way that, you know, Anakin's character is so boastful. It's like, yes, he's, he, you could kind of see him being a little bit of a precocious little prick, even in certain scenes. So, I mean, it's it's just really a part of his character going all the way back to the, those first scenes that we see with him really, when you really, I, get will, to I will say about, um, about sort of the final scene in the, the, the is it Mustafar? Is that the name of the planet? Yes. Yeah. Yeah. It, it goes back to that old Hitchcock theory about suspense versus surprise. Now I'm not comparing the star Wars films to Hitchcock films. Good Lord. <laughs> no, but yeah. you know, uh, if, for those who don't know the, the the famous Hitchcock quote is basically, you know, if you if you um, I think if you if you just say there's a bomb under the table and everyone reacts to it, that's a surprise. You've got a couple of seconds of oh my god, but if you show the audience that there's a bomb under the table, but you don't show that to the people sitting at the table, you have to then figure out well when's the bomb going to go off, and they're just talking about nonsense. These whole films are, the bomb is Anakin, and you're slowly waiting for it to explode, and it's building to this climax, and you realize by the time you touch down in Mustafar that you're at the climax now, and it's like, how is this going to go up in everyone's faces? And then the tragedy that ensues for doing it, and I think it it, it pays off as well as it could have by this point, and I think it does an okay job of uh, keeping up the suspense, and then, you know, I'd say, yeah, fairly paying it off. Well, and leaping off of that, you know, when you break down the story of the prequels to the essential core of it, um, episode three is about the fall of Anakin and the rise of Darth Vader. But, like, when you look at Attack of the Clones, like, what is Attack of the Clones about in, like, one sentence? Shit. It's about <laughs> st- the starting of the Clone War and also Anakin and Padme falling in love. <laughs> pretty much it's like it gets it gets kind of messy right like it doesn't have sort of a singular focus as to what it's trying to do whereas i feel like that's why the third one is the most effective is because it knows exactly what story it needs to tell it's why you often hear arguments of people saying they should have just made one prequel movie and it should have been essentially this one with maybe a few bits of flashbacks to things like um you know the events of the phantom menace um it just seems like this was the one they, that Lucas was the most inspired by on a storytelling level. He may have been technologically more interested in some of the stuff he got to do in Phantom, but in terms of the actual narrative, it does feel like this is the one that he knew exactly what he needed to do. And even as someone who is not uh, at this point in his career known for um, narrative, it just feels like he even he couldn't bungle this one. He, if he you know hit the beats he needs to hit, he can do whatever he wants and it's going to work. 
Yeah, I, I very much agree. I mean, uh, Revenge of the Sith is the focal. Uh, I mean, it, it is it is it is the center the center focus of, of the entire trilogy. It's the moment that we've been building up, and it's it's the one movie that actually kind of does stand well by itself. You know, again, without with just a little bit of missing context, um, I think you do get a good grasp for the relationship that these characters have and, and what's going on. And of course, you know, the, the romance now has, has uh, happily, you know, uh, for, fortunately been relegated to a subplot. And again, yeah. and Padme <laughs> have an established relationship. They're married. Yeah, we get a little bit of that, you know, oh, I'm only so beautiful because you love me. Oh, God. That was like, <laughs> oh, George, really? But really, it's not George? like teenage angst bad. It's not like hormones bad. It looks like a husband and a wife talking to each other, you know, and Anakin is, is not a whiny brat anymore. <laughs> and it's it's not, the honeymoon phase. Yeah, definitely. It's the honeymoon phase, right? Yeah, because Anakin's kind of been gone and he's he's been, you get the, they definitely throw in and that that's heavily implied that he's been away for a while in the Clone Wars. And and I guess within the series, he and uh, Padme is is actually a part of it quite a bit. But maybe towards the latter end of the series, maybe there is a moment where Anakin and Padme haven't seen each other in quite a bit because that that's what they're implying is that it's been a while. He's been off to war, so you know they kind of have a lot of making up to do. And she lets him know that she's pregnant, and then this becomes the uh, catharsis for him you know it, it is what it is the it is the actually the catalyst i should say for his transformation to the dark side it's all about padme and when we see how into he was in attack of the clones you know yeah. just completely obsessed it does actually make a quite a bit of sense now you know now he's got this love and he wants to protect it and he will do anything one thing that a lot of people say is that or i think i've seen a lot of critics say is that they feel like anakin's transformation wasn't you know gradual enough or he just sort of snapped but if you look into the subtext right in attack of the clones anakin is already kind of doubting the jedi order and and in uh revenge of the sith that's a major plot point of his of his character arc is that and this is very much his movie um is that you know he's having doubts about the jedi order and and you know, kind of their dogmatic worldview. And there's a point at which he realizes that the Jedi and the Sith at this point are no different. And I think, except that one of those sides is happens to be offering him the way to, to save his, his wife, you know, and, and that's, that is what causes him to change. And we see this little boy that idealized, you know, he has this idealized version of the Jedi, the, the Jedi that we are, we were supposed to have, maybe the old Republic Jedi that, you know, really were protectors of the peace. And now you've got this sort of bureaucratic mess. And even unfortunately Yoda is kind of complacent with that. I do wonder though, with this movie, so much of the heavy lifting is on Hayden Christensen to pull off this journey. And I think that's why, even still, it probably doesn't hit the heights it should is because it's just an actor that I don't even know if it's miscasting or if it was just that he was not getting proper direction. I don't, there seems to be a number of issues going on with the Anakin character. I think the writing for the, you know, the dialogue is pretty rough. The journey for Anakin, I think though, the reason it succeeds ultimately for me to watch the movie is because Ian McDiarmid is doing all the heavy lifting like all of the scenes of him seducing him into the dark side are so effective because they're actually just giving you know mac diarmid just the space to deliver these monologues and to cast these glances and to give off that sort of seductive emperor vibe like i think the emperor is more effective in this movie than he is in return of the jedi yeah, he kind of steals the uh, scene a little bit every time that he's there. He he, he really chews scenery. Yeah, very well. At one point, Anakin's like, "You're the Sith Lord," and and you know he's basically like, "Yeah, I am. Come at me. You need my power, don't you?" <laughs> <laughs> exactly. I just want to ask Cam. Did you just say that the uh, the Emperor was sexy? I did, of course. Yes. Right. Okay. <laughs> I, I just want that on record. Yeah, seductive. Okay. Yeah. Very seductive. Yeah. <laughs> sexy you know what he is the senate okay he is totally well the senate. he is yeah <laughs> it's treason then do it do it do it i i actually think i i think it's actually a curse almost on the franchise that miak diarmid is so so good in this movie because i i think if he'd been okay they would not have been as compelled to bring him back in, um, you know, Rise of Skywalker. Yeah. I, I genuinely think he's just so dynamic. And for a generation of Star Wars fans, they walked out of 
this trilogy, um, the, even the ones that didn't like it would often point to him as the highlight of the whole trilogy. And I think that kind of wound up worming its way into the sequel films because he had such a raised profile. If he just died in return and, and not really factored that much into these movies, I don't think they bring him back later down the road. Probably not, honestly. Yeah, I actually agree with that. Yeah, Ian, Ian McDiarmid is is definitely a high point of this franchise, and he really shines in this movie. Uh, they give him room to breathe and be, and we don't just get you know subtle hints that the that the Sidious and Palpatine are the same character. It's 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 very obvious in this film. Well, that's why I is like I said I think in the last episode is that this entire trilogy is pretty much all about Palpatine and his character arc. It's it's yeah. his story more or less. It's his rise to power, you know, because in in episode one, you know, we we the ball starts rolling where we see him get elected to Supreme Chancellor, okay? In episode two, they start giving him more privileges and, and he gets executive powers that that allow him to, to be more powerful. In episode three, he's long expired his term and he is, is basically already the emperor, so to speak. I mean, all it takes is him basically literally just saying, okay, we're no longer a republic, we're an empire now. You know, that that's all ha that has to happen. And, and it's like Padme says, you know, uh, this is how democracy dies with thunderous applause. And I, that's where I almost wonder if, if that was his dark side of the force at work, you know, being uh, seductive. But at the same time, maybe the dude is just that fucking brilliant. <laughs> well, he uses what's essentially a fake terrorist attack as a pretext to start the empire, pretty much. He's pulling the strings of both yeah. sides. Yeah, he, he pulled the strings and he caused this, you know, huge conflagration that eventually led to him establishing the empire. And it's crazy because we start, you know, we start the prequel trilogy, or at least episode two, with, okay, the Separatists are the bad guys, but then you see, you know, the, the clone troopers are coming and you're like, wait, are we the bad guys? And that's where we find out the Republic is the Empire. All that they needed to do was commit genocide of the Jedis and... <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's all it took. That's it. And the Order 66 scene, by the way, is also extremely uh, effective. Oh, it's riveting. Especially especially the bit where uh, Anakin Skywalker kills Oliver Twist. Oh, you mean my favorite part? <laughs> <laughs> Ask the Skywalker, what are we going to do? What are we going to do? <laughs> I can't wait to play that in VR. This is something, that's my favorite scene in honestly, the entire this, series. This is something that I kind of noticed about all of this, especially when Lucas was doing this, when it comes to the human characters, they're either very aggressively American in their accents or very aggressively British in their accents. <laughs> There's no in-between there, really. I mean, and, and then, like, all the aliens, they're the ones that have the actual foreign dialects and whatnot. True. And, you know, obviously, like yeah. you said before, some aliens are coded differently. Yeah. Um, for better or for worse. One thing I... That we've neglected to mention too, and 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 uh, lauding Ewan McGregor's performances, how well he adopts Alec Guinness's performance, how well he emulates his mannerisms and even his style of speech. If you've ever seen a side by side, it's uncanny. It really is, and and they're bringing him back as Obi Wan, right? Yeah, in the upcoming uh, Kenobi series, and Hayden Christensen is coming back too. I don't know what the significance of that is. If he's just going to be covered in his Darth Vader helmet the whole time, but hey. It's Hayden Christensen. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, maybe it's just a cameo as a pre-Vader Anakin. Maybe. maybe. Maybe it's like... I think they just announced Hayden Christensen's doing one of the other Star Wars shows, too. Is he? Really? He's, he's doing He's doing the Ahsoka Tano. Oh. He's going to be in the Ahsoka series? Yeah. Because yeah. for those who don't know, uh, he was her master. That, yeah, makes, that makes a lot of sense. Yeah. The Ahsoka series is one I'm pretty excited for. I'm most excited for the Kenobi series, but my dad is, uh, he's a huge fan of the Star Wars series and he actually grew up with the originals and he loves the prequels, by the way, but he went and watched the Clone Wars and he told me that he thinks uh, Ahsoka, Ahsoka is his favorite character of the entire franchise. Now, I haven't watched all of the Clone Wars, but I mean, I think that she's pretty cool. I liked her appearance in The Mandalorian. Rosario Dawson. Rosario Dawson yeah. is actually great. I mean, too bad they didn't get the original voice actress, but that's okay. Rosario Dawson kills it. And and if Anakin's a part of her role in the Ahsoka series, I'm really interested because I know that series is, isn't that like post post Jedi? Isn't that post the her appearance in The Mandalorian? Probably. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I would think so. Yeah. So if Hayden Christensen's coming back, I guess maybe it's either as a Force ghost or as a flashback. Yeah. 
Also, we've got the book of Boba Fett coming out. It's very mm-hmm. soon. I'm not really familiar with that. Okay, so it it's it's it was the end of Mandalorian season two. They set that up. You really need to watch the Mandalorian. Yeah, I do. <laughs> I'm, I'm very much behind on that. If there's any piece of Star Wars canon I wholeheartedly recommend over any other. It's probably that TV series. It's so good. <laughs> <laughs> dark side of the force is a pathway to many abilities some consider to be unnatural is it possible to learn this power not from a jedi the council wants you to report on all the chancellor's dealings that's treason we are at war anakin very dangerous putting them together i don't think the boy can handle it i don't trust him I need your help, son. I'm appointing you to be my personal representative on the Jedi Council. You're on this council, but we do not grant you the rank of master. What? Obi-Wan and the council don't trust me. Learn to know the dark side of the Force, and you will achieve a power greater than any Jedi. You're under arrest, Chancellor. Are you threatening me, Master Jedi? Yeah, Mandalorian really de- uh, delivers and actually seems to understand Star Wars st- uh, storytelling in a way that no one really has since 1983. <laughs> so I would really recommend it quite strongly. Um, but, you know, getting back to, like, the Anakin journey here, I-, I think Hayden Christensen is probably at his best in this movie. Like, I think if you're to measure it up against, you know, Attack of the Clones, and I remember actually going into Revenge of the Sith quite nervous because his performance had been pretty stiff in two, but he's also a little, you know, he's kind of supporting character in that movie. He's the lead, but he's also not the focal point of episode two. Whereas with three, you knew going in, he had heavy lifting to do. Like you had to buy this transition. And while he's blown off the screen by Ian McDiarmid, like he's not, offensively awkward the way he was in um, episode two. He's he's stiff, doesn't quite capture the emotional moments, but he doesn't have the egregious meme moments um, that (laughs) I think we feared. Like, I think we were genuinely fearful that we were going to be just hit with a lot of really clunky moments like in episode two, and they're just not really there. Episode two had so many puns, it was actually painful. Oh, um, the puns. They really were leaning into the punny Especially humor with 3PO. I, I'm glad. Oh. Yes. <laughs> Damn it. <laughs> I'm like, does it make any sense for the character to say that in this situation? I mean, come on. But, I, I mean, it's fun. I do like that Revenge of the Sith takes itself much more seriously. Yeah, it's it's refreshing, actually. Yeah. And it's like they let you just kind of find your sort of stars, uh, Star Warsian fun just through like, you know, we were talking about Ewan McGregor earlier. It's just like kind of his line deliveries. Like there's a lightness to the way he plays that character in this movie. And it lets the fun come through those little interactions. Yes. You know, it's just kind of the small character beats versus the 
let's stop the movie dead so C-3PO could get dragged, you know, through a robot factory screaming. Like, you don't have those sorts of sequences. Again, like, I think I think he really shines the best in this movie. And Hayden Christensen, for all his, his faults as an actor, I think does his best here. This is his best work. Maybe the actor just matured quite a bit. Maybe yeah. he had better material to work with this time I, around. I just can't help but think of that one Family Guy uh, joke where he just shows up as a force ghost. He's like, I'm Hayden Christensen. <laughs> you know, I just can't help but think of that. I will defend I, that special edition change, by the way. I'm okay with it. It's the last uh, time Anakin was good. Uh, 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 I don't know. Right. No, I'm not a fan. <laughs> yeah, it's a little weird to me. All right, all right. I have heard some people criticize the fact that they removed the eyebrows, and I'm like, really? Are you going to criticize a, 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 a change that's actually beneficial for continuity? Yeah. <laughs> I mean, <laughs> but we all know Star Wars fans in general, they're yeah. bi- they'll find something to bitch about. They will find I, something to bitch about. Uh, uh, well, I'll bitch about that moment, because like, I really don't like that You know, the original version, which had Sebastian Stan as Anakin showing up, you had this moment of like him standing there with, you know, Yoda and Obi-Wan and they're all just kind of like smiling. Like there's a very like, it's like this character's finally found comfort and you're seeing him now look at, you know, Luke and Leia and acknowledging that, Hey, things are going to be okay. Then they swap it out with the Hayden Christensen who's like glowering at them. It just changes the entire tone of the moment. It does. Okay, I'll buy that. Yeah, honestly, that makes sense. I mean, because, yeah, it's just the look on his face is just so off-putting in that scene. It's just like, um, okay. All right, that's fair. I mean, and to be fair, they didn't, you know, reshoot it or anything. They just used archival footage, you know, just kind of just slapped a picture of him into Jedi robes that actually Hayden Christensen never wore. That does bother me. Yeah. Yeah. I actually have never bought the um, original Star Wars films on Blu-ray because of those changes. I was just like, I, I can't. I'm out. There is a pretty good despecialized version I've heard on the internet that a lot of people talk about. But again, mm-hmm. I do like a lot of the other changes, though, that they do bring in the special edition. I wish there was a really good, uh, maybe there is a good fan, you know, uh, version that includes like the good moments like okay let's expand on cloud city and give it some more background that's a good thing you know let's take off mm-hmm. sebastian shaw's eyebrows yes okay you know let's put the real job of the hut and not a dude in a suit okay good you know but not you know the greedo shot first that's the one i'm not i do agree with the criticism on that one <laughs> uh, well yeah i mean i don't mind some of the landscape stuff like the cloud city but like the job of the hut stuff cut it it's unnecessary. It's actually repeating a lot of the uh, dialogue that's going on in the Greedo sequence. There's a reason it's not in the original Star Wars. Yeah. Um, it's just redundant. But yeah, like um, in terms of just some of the other stuff, just cut it. It's aged so much worse than the practical. I don't have the despecialized. I have my <laughs> the um, DVDs they put out with the work print editions oh, where it's the wow. un- unaltered versions of the original trilogy. And oh, nice. they're not nice. even formatted. Nice. They're not even formatted for widescreen TVs, so it's like the black box, you know, in the center of your screen. It's pathetic. <laughs> oh no, I, mm. I, I I have heard I have heard that there's a there's a good despecialized uh, version. I think it's called like Harmony's Despecialized or something. A lot of people harp about that one. I'm okay with watching the movies as they are. I mean, specifically though, I mean, I watched the. Uh, I have been, I think the last time I watched ever, them all was through Disney Plus, and that's how we watched the prequel trilogy this time. As yeah. We, as we watched them all on Disney Plus. Um, and the versions of, of the, the first three films that they have on this one, the prequel films, I should say, actually, are, are pretty good. I didn't have any major issues with those. But then again, there weren't that many special edition changes to the prequels in the first place. So, <laughs> yeah, not really. No. Not, not enough to matter anyway. Yeah. Yeah, they really only just changed the Yoda puppet, and that's about it. That's the only thing that comes to mind for me. Yeah. But anywho, yeah, uh, Revenge of the Sith, in, in my opinion, is the is the, is the is the high point of the prequel trilogy. But I love them for what they are. If nothing else, they are excellent meme content. Definitely. <laughs> they're, the, they're the best meme content, almost like Spider-Man 3 level. <laughs> yes, exactly. Uh, what, I was going to ask, what did you guys think of General Grievous? Oh, General Grievous. I thought that he was different. 
You know, I mean... It's a cool concept, a cyborg, you know. Yeah. Only his internal organs are left. Everything else is robot. Yeah, I, I thought that he was a droid at first. He uh, taps me on the shoulder and he's like, why does General Grieve... Why, why is a, a droid coughing? And I was like... Yeah. I was like, well, he's just high all the time. God damn it. Exactly. <laughs> well, I like that he wears a cape, too. It's like a droid walking around wearing a cape. That, to me, is inherently funny. But um, I think, like, Grievous works as a visual design very well. And he's really effective in that um, the Clone Wars, the shorts they put out, not the extended series, the CG animated series, the um, the uh, 2D series. The Tartakovsky um, Grievous ones. is really, yeah, yeah. The Tartakovsky one. Yeah, the Grievous stuff in there is really, really cool. And the one thing was you noticed a pattern emerge beginning with episode one with Darth Maul to uh, to um, Jango Fett in the second one, and then Grievous here, where it was like, build up a ready-for-the-toy-shelves character villain, don't really develop them a lot, and kill them in that one movie. And it's actually a testament to their design team that all three of them kind of work. They're all pretty memorable, but it is kind of a cynical um, practice that they had going there. At least Grievous gets a, a good... A, a, a couple good scenes um, and his fight against Obi-Wan is, is uh, one of the, the bigger spectacles of the movie. It really is. Yeah. Um, it actually, I, I really quite like that scene and, and the way that, uh, that Grievous is wielding around four lightsabers, you know, is really cool. I've been trained in your Jedi arts by Count Dooku. <laughs> and, you know, and then, uh, you know, uh, Obi-Wan's just kind of slicing off his arms one by one, and then he gets away. Obi-Wan loses his lightsaber, you know, and they're kind of chasing each other out, and then finally ends in, in the blaster shot. So uncivilized. And, you know, that, that whole fight is is really is really cool. Uh, the uh, Both of the fights in this, of those two major fights in this movie are excellently choreographed. Yeah, they really are, and they're very well paced as well. I mean, and, and from we, a cinematography standpoint, you know, as well, those scenes are shot really, really well. It really is. Yeah. yeah. It was notable, though, you know, when this movie is released, well, not just this one, but also episode two, they're coming out around the times of things like Lord of the Rings, the Sam Raimi Spider-Man movies. It really did feel at a certain point that Star Wars was being eclipsed. Like back in 77, Star Wars was the future of filmmaking. And suddenly you had here with these prequels, which were, running kind of slower on energy and inspiration. You could feel like the next phase of blockbuster storytelling was unfolding around them. And you could see that Star Wars was no longer at the forefront of that. I remember it was like genuinely shocking when Spider-Man beat um, episode two at the box office for the year. People were legitimately bowled over by that. That doesn't surprise me one bit. No, not mm -hmm. at all. Fans, I mean... fans can be, can be, can be awful. <laughs> <laughs> It happened a lot at that time as well. I mean, you think about Die Another Day and the Bourne series. Die Another Day, by that point, the fourth Pierce Brosnan film felt completely just tired at that point. It had no no tricks left up its sleeve. And then Bourne Identity comes out, and it's just like, wow, look at what a spy film can do. And I think that's just kind of what happened with these sort of fantasy films. Yeah, and actually also uh, 99 is Phantom Menace and also The Matrix. And it was Ooh. a real like, oh oh, like this is what sort of sci-fi storytelling could be doing right now. Really interesting. Yeah. Well, before we wrap up here, I do want to kind of touch on a couple things. Um, particularly, uh, we've got the Clone Wars series, two of them actually. Like you mentioned, the Tartakovsky series. Those are really cool shorts. They're not canon, but they are on Disney Plus now. I'm not sure why they're not canon. There's nothing like glaringly contradictory with them, is there? I don't think so. And in fact, it actually sets up why Grievous is coughing through the movie. It does. So you'd think they'd want to make it canon. It yeah. does. And there is an al really? also a badass scene of Mace Windu just kicking ass all by himself. No yeah. lightsaber, just pah, pah, pah. <laughs> and, and those shorts had almost no dialogue. And they just were just really, really cool. I mean, we've got, you know, the, the same guy behind uh, Samurai Jack here at work. And, oh, yeah. You know, it, it really shows those 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 ones were really cool. But the Clone Wars series, the, the 3D one was also uh, something that's a lot of people say is, is the best piece of Star Wars canon. Uh, my dad, being one of those people, uh, argued that uh, the Clone Wars really fleshes out Again, like I said earlier, the relationship between Anakin and Obi-Wan and, and kind of better sets up Anakin's downfall. I mean, you guys have, have a little bit of a uh, 
viewing experience with the Clone Wars series, right? Um, I went and saw the theatrical feature they put out, which is like the first three episodes stapled together essentially just to get. Yeah. 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 And it was pretty terrible. It was so bad that um, I walked out of it. It was like, I'm not watching that show. And I actually never watched the show because of that. And I have heard good things. So I have been more tempted in recent years to be like, you know what, maybe I should give this a shot and just watch it and rebels. Cause I, people keep bringing them up over and over again. as really strong star Wars storytelling at a time where, you know, the, um, the films have been kind of rocky. I've really liked some of them, but then other ones have been kind of rough. So I am considering giving it a shot, but I just remember sitting in that theater back in whatever year that was and hearing like the baby Jabba the Hutt character being referred to as Punky Muffin. And I was like, what the <laughs> hell am I watching? Yes, oh my Lord. they do come off a bit more childish. I think it's a series that gets better as it goes on. And I think releasing those, the first two or three episodes as a theatrical feature was kind of a mistake. I mean, you know, it just like, it, it there was no reason to do that. But uh, I, I uh, kind of season one of Clone Wars is is not really a good example of what comes after. Now, I haven't finished the series. I'm maybe through. I'm watching in chronological order, and it goes all over the place. It kind of takes more of a, an anthology spin to it. But um, I'm kind of in the middle of, of, of season two, or maybe if I've gotten to qu- quote of sort of the season three storyline. But, you know, obviously there's a lot, a lot of skipping around. But so far, I'm, I guess I'm kind of getting into where it gets good, and it is. But it's one of those series I kind of had to talk myself into watching and, and, and continue to get on because it, it doesn't start off real strong mm-hmm. yeah from what i've seen of it i mean I, I do like how they really really go into the characterization a little better you know especially with like padme and anakin yeah. and also you know introducing uh asuka as well That's ahsoka like, is is ahsoka actually is like yeah she's a very important character now i think she is kind of a cringy character at first though i remember kind of being a little at infuriated first. with her but she does become a better character later on and i can see now why there are some people that really really enjoy her um the guy that does obi-wan's voice is just a, a spot-on impression of of uh, of uh, Ewan McGregor, and I can't remember his name right now, but he actually does great. Yeah, um, and the guy that, that does Anakin actually is is a better actor than Hayden Christensen. Would <laughs> <laughs> yeah, arguably, <laughs> he's a much. Better I am Anakin. not a fan though of uh, resurrecting Darth Maul. That that I'm just like no, mm. no. I'm sorry, no. It does set up a pretty cool moment in Rebels, I've heard, you know, where, where uh, Obi-Wan, an older Obi-Wan that is kind of a mix between Alec Guinness and, and Ewan McGregor faces off against him. And, and it, it was kind of sad we didn't get to see a whole lot of Darth Maul. But, you know, I see, I see what you mean. I mean, it, it kind of does uh, break credibility <laughs> yeah. a little bit with the characters <laughs> just kind of coming back. And it's just why not just set up new characters? But they do. Of course, there's the Ventress character. Uh, and they do actually get a quite a bit more into the characterization of the clones, which I like. Yeah, yeah. You actually spend some time with the, the clones in their day-to-day life here and there. And that's actually kind of compelling. Yeah. The Bad Batch series in particular, I have watched um, nearly all of. I've got, like, the last couple episodes left of it. Uh, I haven't gotten around to finishing. But the cl- the Bad Batch series is actually really good. It's, it's kind of a spinoff of the Clone Wars. And it literally follows just a... Uh, a troop of, of, of clones uh, that are quote unquote defective, but they're actually have uh, they're they're like enhanced and they have different abilities and they also are not affected by the chip. Um, Clone Wars goes in and explains that the clones didn't actually just betray their comrades, their Jedi comrades that they'd been with for however many years, fighting side by side just of their yeah. own volition. There there was a chip in their brain that you know basically forced them to to it, they're like sleeper agents. Yeah. Yeah. Hmm. So it does add a lot of context to episode three in that way. Right. But I guess we'll go ahead and wrap things up here. Um, Overall, what are our final thoughts on the Star Wars prequel trilogy and affiliated media? And we'll start with our guests from the Spy Hearts podcast. For me, I think the prequels are... mm, I think they've got a bad rap in, in sort of the common conscience out there. I think they, I think Phantom Menace left a bad taste in a lot of people's mouths. And I think it's, it's low hanging fruit for journalists and film critics to just throw shots at these things. When I think there was a lot of good in there, 
Uh, there's some fumbles. I still think Jar Jar Binks is a bit of a mistake. Um, you won't be a fan uh, of the Jar Jar centric Clone Wars episodes, then. <laughs> oh, <laughs> there no. are a couple of them. Uh, yeah, that will be an easy skip for me, I think. Um, <laughs> but ultimately, I think the story they told is really interesting. I'm not sure about some of the actors they chose to tell those stories. Uh, Hayden Christensen. <clears throat> but. Yeah, I, I think ultimately the films came around at an important time for me and I latched onto the prequels. And so I'm, you know, I'm a proud member of, you know, prequel memes on Reddit. I'm often perusing that subreddit oh, uh, yeah. and, and getting a lot of joy from that place. So uh, ironically and unironically. So I, I will go back to these films just like I'll go back to the original trilogy, but uh, I won't be going back to any of the sequels. Uh, yeah, like I'm really curious what the legacy of the prequel trilogy is in the wake of the sequel trilogy, which really tripped over its own feet. It shot itself in the head with a blaster at the end of the <laughs> at the end of the trilogy. There, where I'm like, okay, well, there we have it. A completely unsatisfying end to a trilogy. Like we'd never had that before. You know, whatever you think of the prequel trilogy, it went out on probably the best entry and the one that set up the, the original series really well. Whereas the sequel trilogy, the final one is borderline a train wreck and so I, I don't like to like live with hype you know in a hyperbolic world where it's like oh the prequels are the worst movies ever made if you think the prequels are the worst movies ever made you must have seen like five movies in your life like it's just like <laughs> a very narrow <laughs> look at the world of cinema there i think you know it's kind of like as i said they're a mixed bag there's some amazing stuff in there stuff that really does hold up just filmmaking wise character designs like you know put aside anakin put aside you know some of the iffier elements the love story just look at the world building going on look at the various character designs the ship designs there's so much beautiful work on display through these movies to just go back and watch you know everything going on action choreography wise with the duel of the fates the Colosseum battle you know, the, the lightsaber battle in um, episode three where it's not being, you know, wacky CG stuff. It, it's really great stuff. So there's very few perfect Star Wars stories. I would say, honestly, the first two, Star Wars and Empire, are the two that I think are pretty much perfect. Beyond that, there's pluses or minuses to each one. There's more minuses to the prequels than, for me, you know, something like Last Jedi or Rogue One but it doesn't mean there's not stuff I can enjoy if I just turn them on. My final thoughts. I kind of feel that, <clears throat> excuse me. I kind of feel that as far as star Wars movies are concerned, these are the movies that do the best in regards to, you know, staying true to that universe or to the vision that George Lucas actually put forth, you know, it's like in the end, these are the last three movies in his original vision. I mean, this is it as far as George Lucas is concerned, and with Star Wars now. So, I mean, it's kind of just a celebration of the series in a way, but it just fumbles it in so many ways that, you know, I mean, I could go back and watch Phantom Menace, you know, and maybe have a good time. I could watch Revenge of uh, Revenge of the Sith, and have a good time but you know as far as just you know straight up fantasy movies it just overstays its welcome here or there especially episode two it really really overstays its welcome to me and you know remember like i said i'm very neutral on star wars i mean like i said i don't think that there's really such a thing as a great star wars story i don't think that there's really any particularly bad ones per se they're just very meh but, you know, these, these movies right here, there's some nostalgia there to me, but not enough that I want to, like, go back and watch them all the time, you know? I mean, the, act the original uh, three movies, A New Hope all the way to uh, Return of the Jedi, I mean, those are fine movies, I think. And I, I would much wa rather watch those, even if they are the special edition versions. But if, if I had absolutely had to waste an afternoon or an mm -hmm. evening... Yeah, the prequels are a good way to spend them, I guess. Just expect epi episode two to really get under your skin, you know? Hmm. Again, as Like sand. Like sand, exactly. Like sand. Yeah, it's gonna, it just gets everywhere. There, there yeah. is a pretty cool scene that they set up with that, though, because later on, 
Anakin is standing sitting in front of his mother's grave and he picks up a handful of sand and just kind of holds it for a while, you know. And so that whole setup of, of you know, coarse and rough and irritating does pay off, just not in a way, in a way so subtle that most people kind of missed it. And yeah, but either way, anyway, I'm I'm going to go ahead and, and say here that uh, I, I think that uh, you guys really hit the nail on the head uh, as far as uh, the over, overall my overall view of the prequel trilogy. Again, I grew up with it. I, I watched these along with uh, the original trilogy, but I did get to see you know, Attack of the Clones and Revenge of the Sith in theaters. Revenge of the Sith was the first movie I really got to see from a standpoint of understanding what the, what was what was going on. <laughs> yeah. But anywho, um, there are a lot of really good things that the Star Wars prequel trilogy does for cinema in general, I should say. I mean, Star Wars as a whole has a lot of those high points. For me, the prequel trilogy occupies that same space as there's a lot of really high points, a lot of good stuff you know as, as you put it that um that it does for the world of cinema but you know there is a lot of also uh baggage that it carries but for me it's part of the experience you know if i don't i unironically like it i ironically like it and it's okay <laughs> i make a meme out of it um it's part of the campiness it's part of the aesthetic for me so the prequel trilogy is is, is just a it's a continuous rewatch for me um, and I always actually watch the movies in chronological order when I do um, a watch through. You know, that, that's just kind of the way that I always have done it. And yeah. I'm really interested to see what will happen with my daughter because I think I'm going to show them to her in chronological order. And I know it does take away um, a, a certain perspective that you got with the original trilogy. I mean, the whole reveal that... Uh, and uh, Anakin is, or Darth Vader is Luke's father, is is taken away by that. But you really do; she really will get to, you know, take the full face of the betrayal, you know, instead of looking forward to it. So it's kind of an experiment I'm going to run. I'm going to show my daughter whenever she's she's only two right now, so not yet. But yeah. in, 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 in a couple, in a few years, I think I'll, I'll show her the series in chronological order, and it'll be really interesting to see what her perspective is. But like I said, the prequels are something that I watch regularly you know again i am also on reddit and i am a part of the r slash prequel memes i'm on a lot of store for shit posting groups so obviously you know that i i i am down with with the uh the prequel memes they're for me <laughs> they're right up there with raimi memes raimi memes and prequel memes and especially raimi prequel memes and yes there is a subreddit for that oh lord <laughs> <laughs> i can't relate to any of this wow <laughs> Damn it. I mean, I'm a Redditor, but I don't really frequent uh, prequel memes or anything. More like the Movie Circle Jerk subreddit. Movie Circle Jerk. Yeah, you know. But where can our listeners find the Spy Hearts podcast? And in case you didn't catch it last time, uh, go ahead and uh, tell us a little bit more about your podcast again. Sure. Well, I mean, firstly, I just want to thank you both for having us on to talk about this and having us on two episodes as well. So thank you for inviting us to to join you in this discussion it's not uh you know we're, we're known for spy movies not for star wars films it's nice to come out and stretch our our wings a little bit in a, in a different uh genre so that's lovely yeah. um but as for us as for us we talk about spy movies every week it's in the title uh everything from bond to born and and powers to palmer as we like to say we we cover all the bases and we also talk about a lot of films that you may not have heard of we like to find the some 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 quite strange ones from from Condor Man, which is a, a comic book spy film, which is uh, an insane adventure. I remember uh, all that the way. One. <laughs> yes, yeah, we have a we that. have a fan. Hell yes, yeah, someone's seen it. Great film. Um, yeah, that sort of stuff as well. So we mix it up, um, but you'll still find your bonds in there. And as for you know finding us, we're available on all podcast apps. Pod pod. Beans, Spotify, Apple Podcasts, anything, you name it, we're there. S-P-Y-H-A-R-D-S. The same with Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. Hell yeah. Well, thank you guys for being on. It was great talking with you. Uh, excellent perspective. I think you guys really had a lot of really good things to say to uh, that I couldn't agree more on. Oh, uh, definitely. So yeah. feel free to be on again, you know, and if we ever do, like, any kind of spy movie, I mean, we'd love to collaborate with you in the future. 
Yeah, definitely. So we'll let you know if uh, we if we do anything like that for sure. Yeah. <laughs> awesome. Yeah, sure. We're down. Hell yeah. Right on. But uh, yeah, you can find Collateral Cinema wherever you get your podcasts as well. We are on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Podcasts, YouTube, wherever. Uh, we are also on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook. So hit us up in the DMs if you'd like to collab with us. Um, feel free to shoot us a message. If you have an idea about, you know, a movie that we can talk about, let us know. I mean, generally we kind of have our, our seasons slated out, but uh, there's no, well, we, we make last minute changes all the time. And there is the director's cut. If you're not listening to Collateral Cinema Director's Cut. Yeah, Collateral Cinema Director's Cut is where we kind of get a little more topical with our movie reviews and analysis and everything. Like, maybe we'll even do a little theme or whatever. Like, recently we did a 20-year retrospective on uh, the early year days of Adult Swim. So That was a lot of fun. It really was, <laughs> and that's turned out to be a pretty popular episode as well. And something so. that we are going to have to talk about this month, um, actually... It may have already been released by the time this comes out. I'm not sure how the yeah. timing's going to work yeah. out. But uh, Cowboy Bebop uh, is one of our favorite anime franchises of all time. We're doing a Cowboy Bebop movie later this season. So, of course, we've got to talk about the uh, live-action series on Netflix that's coming out this month. Man, I would just love to put together a podcast where we just, you know, go over every episode of the show one by one. That would just be cool. A, a, a like a limited, spinoff? Yeah, yeah, a limited podcast series. Just... Y just like go over the entire series and maybe even inspect the mangas. I, I have the three mangas that were released and they, they have some interesting stories in there. Dude, so. I'd, love, I'd love to check that out. I mean, you yeah. know, I'm a huge weeb, uh, anime weeb. Fan. <laughs> but Cowboy Bebop, whether you like anime or not is, is just phenomenal. It is fantastic storytelling and nineties anime just has this like aesthetic to it that oh, you don't see it's nowadays. It's just a mood. I love it. But I love the original video animations. I love it all. I'm excited for the live action series. So uh, we're going to be doing a director's cut episode on that. It should, the whole season should be released all at once because it's Netflix. So yeah. we'll go ahead and binge that. We'll discuss our thoughts on it, see if it holds up. It looks pretty promising so far. Uh, what can we expect from Collateral Cinema in the month of December, Bo? That's pretty much going to be our bad movie month. <laughs> we're going to have the Shocked and Applaud podcast the the ladies from that show they're going to come on and talk about Bo and john derrick's bolero <laughs> that's right that's right we're going to get this out before the cinema snob can do uh, bolero <laughs> we're going to do that and we're also going to be doing a neil breen movie we're going to be doing double down i thought yes. month of december we were doing uh uh our christmas special too yeah we, we're doing the christmas special and that's also going to be a bad movie at least in my in my opinion, a bad movie, Last Ounce of Courage, the War on Christmas movie. Oh, Lord, and that's going to be contentious. We're set to feature victims and villains on that one. I yes, believe, yeah, so. we're going to have a Captain Nostalgia from Victims and Villains and maybe his co-host as well. I'm not really sure, but... It's kind of a tradition for us to collaborate with them on Christmas at this point, so... Yeah, we've done, like, what, two episodes in the last couple of years with them? I think so. Yeah, at the but very least. That's going to be a lot of fun, so stay tuned for that. Uh, we'll have our anniversary coming up in January. We've got another Takashi Miike movie planned. If you want to know what that is, stay tuned. Yeah, stay tuned. Of course, Definitely. it's already out on Twitter, but yeah, yeah. whatever. <laughs> um, anything else to add, Bill? No, nothing. I mean, maybe, yeah, Texas Sundown, the movies that we did, and Killing Night with oh, Robert Ortegon. Man, I wish we had Robert on this episode. Yeah. He loves the, he quotes the prequels as much as I do, Yeah, man. he quotes them all the time. It's like, damn it, Robert. <laughs> Robert, pick up your game, man. Pick up your game. Well, <laughs> I mean, that being said, we are just a simple podcasters trying to make our way in the universe. Yeah. So hit us up on Patreon. We have $1 and $5 tiers, and we also have full movie commentaries there. And if we get more uh, patrons, we're probably going to start, you know, adding more content there. So just to check us out there. Uh, thank you to Vern from Cinema Recall for being our only patron so far. <laughs> At $1, thank you. That that dollar will be well spent. And hey, if you like Collateral Cinema and you like movies, I also have the Collateral Gaming video game podcast. Um, if you haven't checked that out already, that's our spinoff. Uh, I believe we just talked about, uh, well, we are going to be doing... Uh, 
we're going to be finishing up our episode on Metroid Dread. So early in October, we did a spoiler-free kind of first impressions review. Part two is going to get into, you know, actual spoiler detail. Uh, and then we're going to be doing Superman 64. Ooh. So. <laughs> Damn. That's going to be fun to get into because, you know, we got to talk about the bad. Too. Yeah, of course. Um, but yeah, I guess that is all. Uh, I am Ashley Chancellor. I'm Bo Maddox. I'm Agent Scott. And I'm Cam the Provocateur. And this was Collateral Cinema. We are out. And yes, we have the high ground, people. We have the high ground. Cinema is a collateral media podcast. All music and movie clips are owned by the respective creators and are used for educational purposes only. Please don't sue us. We're poor.